are continuing in our series on life's big questions. And I think at one point or another, it would be safe to say that everybody has asked the question, why am I here? This morning I want to try to answer that question according to God-breathed scripture, which is the source of truth, which we established in the first message of this series. But before we get to the question about the meaning of life from our perspective, I think it would be helpful to understand why God created us. There are many theories going around uh, that try to answer this question. Some think think that God might have been bored or perhaps lonely. Others paint him as a megalomaniac who needed subjects to serve him or to torment. But as far as being lonely is concerned, we see that God is not bored and he's not alone. He was not alone before uh, humans were created. In Genesis 1.26, we get a glimpse into the conversation that was going on in heaven before man came into being. It says, let us make man in our image. And so the Trinity was already in existence outside of our concept of time. Isaiah 57.15 says that God inhabits eternity. One passage that shows clearly that God is not a megalomaniac is Acts 17, 24 through 25. Here it says that God is the one who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And so we see here that God is self-reliant apart from humanity. The verse that seems to indicate and give us the clearest indication about God's intention for creating man is Isaiah 43.7. It says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So notice there the phrase, created for my glory. What does this mean? Glory here means majesty, splendor, or magnificence. And so man was created to reflect or show the magnificence of God. Think of it like you would a painting of El Capitan in Yosemite, a majestic mountain. The painting is not actually stone, moss, or trees. Rather, it is an image of the real El Capitan. Now, the interesting thing about the paintings of El Capitan is that no two artists paint it exactly the same. In fact, the same artist will paint it differently every time he paints it. The reason for this is that each artist sees something different, which they try to capture about something that is real. One sees the splendor of morning light on the shadows of the outcroppings. Or another sees the evening mist descending down the face of the mountain. Another might focus more on the water and the wildlife that leads up to the base of this rock formation. It's still the same geological wonder, but each person tries to capture it in a different way, a different aspect of its glory, a different aspect of its majesty. And so we too were created in the image of God. We are not God, 
but rather we reflect his image. And no two humans are alike. Each one of us shows a different side of the majesty and the splendor of God. And because God is infinite, he could have kept on creating and creating and creating, and he never would have run out of ways to show his glory, because it never ends. And that's one of the amazing things about eternity, is that we will always continue to learn and grow and understand the Lord better, because he is infinite. He cannot be fully known. And so knowing the reason that God created us will help us address the question, what is the meaning of life? And so as we look at our purpose of glorifying God, I want to focus on the book of Ecclesiastes, which was the book that Solomon wrote at the end of his life. He looks back in wisdom on all the events of his life, and he recommends a particular path, a way of thinking about things that will help us as God's created beings that are there to reflect his glory. I think some of these will actually surprise you as they did me. First, he tells uh, his reader to enjoy the days of your youth. This shows us the glory of possibilities. In Ecclesiastes 11.9, Solomon advises, Rejoice, young men, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So first we see that in our youth, God's glory is shown and reflected through unlimited possibilities. I think this was so surprising to me that because at many times, we feel as parents or adults who are older, that our main responsibility is to do damage control on our emerging adult children. We think, I know they're going to make some mistakes, but let's not let them make real major mistakes, like life-altering mistakes. But instead, Solomon here, who was the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus, seems to say just the opposite. In the very next verse, he gives the reason for his advice. He says, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Basically, he's saying here, you only are young once for a very short period of time. And then there are certain things because of your age and the frailty of your body, that you will not be able to do. You will find them harder to do later in life. And so what are some ways that we can encourage the glory of limitless possibilities in our young people? Well, first, I think that we can promote adventure and world travel. Two sisters that I know, uh, they're missionary kids, took a summer-long trip to Europe when the youngest graduated from high school. Did they run out of money? Yes. <laughs> Were they in danger at times? Probably. Did they misbehave? Absolutely not. Missionary kids never misbehave. <laughs> but they will never forget the sights and sounds, smells and tastes, and the experiences of that trip. One experience that many young people that I've known have done is Youth with a Mission. Youth with a Mission takes following God and doing his mission and combines it with adventure and travel. Another area to encourage young people in is sports, drama, and music. Because most will find that these areas are easy to get involved with, especially if they're at school. So they're getting involved with these things. They're young. They have uh, vigor. They can do them. And others will maybe perhaps 
do things like band. But others will have to make an effort. They'll have to seek out some of these opportunities. And in athletics and the arts, they will have a chance, as Solomon said, to rejoice in your youth. The fact is, when we get older, injuries plague us. Our voices change. We have less time to dedicate to these areas. And so how many of us have looked back as an older adult and wished we'd have done that? Wished we'd have done that dream or taken that chance or done that adventure, even though we may have ended up in the poorhouse? And finally, I think that we can encourage our young adults in the joys of courtship. Now notice that I didn't say dating because I'm not a big fan of the current practices that are attached to that word, meaning jump from this person to that person and that person, recreational dating. I'm talking about the pursuit of a lifelong companion. There's great excitement in that, seeing that girl or guy for the first time and those feelings are beginning to come upon you. There's this roller coaster that happens there. And you, as older adults, can help influence them, understand the happiness and sorrows that come along with this, and you can encourage them in the days of their youth. However, Solomon gives a warning here. He said, in the midst of all this excitement and all this emotion of youth, it can be easy to let things get out of hand and step into sin. He says that God will bring us into judgment for all of these things. And so youth is not a time to sow your wild oats, as some might encourage, but rather a time of great passion and adventure with some restraint. It's like dad handing you the keys to the car. He's got that look in his eye, right? Have fun, but if you crash my car because of foolishness, I'm not going to be happy. Next we see here that Solomon encourages that there is everything for a season. The glory of change. We know that the days of youth quickly pass and we enter into a different season of life. But in this very season we see the glory of variety. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon states that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And so our purpose in the midst of this season of life is to strive to see the beauty in all seasons, in all aspects of life. Solomon lists many of the different seasons, and I think some of them are probably more difficult to find beauty in than others. Which of these stands out to you? There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. How can death be beautiful? Or what about tearing down? Or as I think about war, the last thing I think is, oh, it's so beautiful. And yet God tells us that in all of these seasons of life, we can find beauty. 
Let's take death, for instance, and see how we can see the glory of God in the midst of this season of life. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. In fact, Paul declares that he preferred death over continuing to live. He said, I desire to depart, die, and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so for the believer, death is a transition from this life into eternal life. And God's glory is shown in that. It's shown in the confidence that the believer has about the things that they are facing, that cold door. God's glory in variety is shown in the creativity also that he showed in his creation. If you look at just the number of birds, I was looking at some of the species of birds, and it can boggle the mind. Aren't you glad that God didn't just make everything the same? And so the meaning of life includes seeing the glory of God in unlimited possibilities and seeing the glory of God in the changing seasons. Our third recommendation given by Solomon about making the most of life comes from Ecclesiastes 2.24, where he tells us to find satisfaction in our toil. This points to the glory of regularity. He says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. And so, eating, drinking, working, sleeping, all these are part of the regular cycle of life that we can find meaning in and great enjoyment. Because God set this precedent about work. He first was a worker. He created the world in six days and rested. And when we work and we create, we are reflecting the creative nature of God, his image. Eating and drinking are two regular daily occurrences that are meant to bring us joy and satisfaction. We see the fruit of our toil, the money that we have made, and we turn and we benefit from that work. And by the way, drinking here in the Hebrew can also mean the enjoyment of alcoholic beverages like wine. In Psalm 104.15, Solomon's father David said that God created wine to gladden the hearts of men. And so if you are not prone to overindulging, like I am, then you can find it to, as a blessing, a part of your regular day. But also be wise in your own understanding of yourself. <laughs> If you're prone to addiction, probably best to not stay uh, or not indulge that. Next, we see that uh, Solomon encourages us to fear God and keep his commandments. This is the glory of relationships. The unlimited opportunity of youth, the variety of the seasons of life, and the regularity of our days can bring glory to God. But Solomon's last word here on the matter comes from the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, where he says, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. This is the meaning of your life. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so this final aspect of life shows us the glory of the relationship that we have with God. He is the creator. We are the created. He is the master, we are the servants. 
And he is the one who is our father, and we are his children. And so this word fear, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, means to be afraid of, have reverence for, and stand in awe of. Think about your own earthly fathers, for those of you whose father was around and involved in your life. Raise your hand if you were ever afraid of your dad. Yeah. Okay. Probably the time you were afraid of him was when you had done something and you deserved to be punished, or you know, right? Or you needed a spanking, or you needed, you know, time out, whatever it was. Here the point is that we have a father who also loves us. Our fathers loved us on this earth in a limited way, whereas God loves us in uh, an unconditional and perfect way. And so over the course of my life, I have needed discipline. I've needed discipline from my parents. I've needed discipline from the government. I've needed God's discipline as well. But also at the same time, I have given discipline to my own children and those that were under my authority. We need both of those. And it's never enjoyable. Receiving discipline or even giving discipline is not fun. But it's something that we need. We need God's discipline. And by the way, in discipline, he's not paying you back. That's what punishment is. Punishment is, I did something wrong, the government now needs to step in and make sure I serve my time or get a fine, I'm being punished. Discipline has at its center, though, a change. We're disciplining people so that they can change and become more like the thing that they actually want to be, which is in the image of Christ. And so, the nice thing about discipline is that the discipline stops once you learn the lesson, right? In conclusion, these things we looked at here this morning are the meaning of life under the sun, as Solomon says here. But the awesome thing that we can see here is that these things also transcend mortal life. These things are but a shadow of all the things that are going to come in eternity for us. You'll have new bodies that will never grow old. They will be full of vigor and vitality. And so you will have endless possibilities like you do in your youth in heaven. You won't have to worry about getting old and injured as you explore the new earth. You will also experience the variety of the Lord in the seasons of eternity, but thankfully without war, tearing down, or death. You will also have regularity in work and in drinking and eating. And by the way, this isn't eternal retirement. We work and we have drudgery here in this life because of the curse, but that will no longer be the case. We are meant to work. I know that many of you have had times when you've done an amazing job and you look back and there's satisfaction in your work and you're proud about the thing that you had done. That is a God-given thing within us. We are meant to accomplish. We are meant to create. And you will have an opportunity to do that in heaven as well without the curse. And our awe and reverence of God will continue on forever because of the, the Father's power and his almighty uh, everlasting love for us. Even the holiest of creatures in heaven bow before him day and night, crying, holy, holy, holy. And this is a life, by the way, that we can look forward to. 
This is a life we can embrace, we can be excited about. It's not something to dread. You know, at certain times of life, we might wonder, is it worth it? I was going through some things a while back, and as I was driving down a country road, I saw a cow out in the field. And I thought for a moment, what a great life. (laughs) No worries, no cares, no pressure. But a cow can only reflect the glory of God to a limited capacity. We were made to reflect these nuances so much more. And yet sometimes the burden of life can press us down because of that responsibility. But what a privilege has been given to men and women to reflect that glory in our everyday lives. And so this message is to encourage you. There is meaning to life. It's not just meaningless. And so as you go through your days, I encourage you to look to the Lord and find your encouragement in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving our lives meaning in our youth, in our uh, merry days with children, in our old days as we look back on our lives. And thank you that this is not the end, that you've given us eternal life as well. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.